Hi, and welcome to the Legal LGBT Podcast. I'm Eric Lesh, Executive Director of Legal, the LGBT Bar of New York. We call this very special episode of the podcast, It's All on the Line. That's because after what has to be one of the worst Supreme Court terms in recent memory, Justice Kennedy decided to ruin our lives by announcing his retirement on the final day of the term. In a flash, the day that progressive lawyers and anyone who cares about LGBT rights in this country had feared would come to pass actually came to pass. We are now looking at a court that is way farther to the right than the rest of the country. The next few months on this podcast and in the streets, we will be highlighting how everything we care about right now is on the line. So for this episode, we are going to begin by chatting about the Kennedy retirement announcement, then talk about Kennedy's LGBT rights legacy, and finally, what is at stake? With Professor Art Leonard of New York Law School, Art is the chief editor and writer of LGBT Law Notes, the most comprehensive monthly publication covering the latest legal and legislative developments affecting the LGBT community here and abroad. It is safe to say that right now is a pivotal all-hands-on-deck moment for everyone who cares about justice, equality, and judicial independence. Justice Anthony Kennedy was the architect of four major LGBT rights rulings, Romer v. Evans, Lawrence v. Texas, U.S. v. Windsor, and Obergefell v. Hodges. The historic marriage equality ruling was decided by a 5-4 margin. With Justice Kennedy stepping down, it is absolutely critical that we preserve his pro-equality legacy. We need you to join the fight for a fair-minded pro-equality justice. That's why at Legal, we are building a rapid response team that's ready to take action as we wait for Trump to nominate and push to confirm the next Supreme Court justice. You can join our rapid response team by clicking on the link that's provided in the homepage on this podcast. Let's dig in. On June 27th, Justice Anthony M. Kennedy announced that he would retire from active service on the U.S. Supreme Court on the last day of July, opening up a vacancy that Trump can fill with the approval of a bare majority of the U.S. Senate, whose political balance is now 51-49 Republican. This announcement came just one day after June 26th, which for LGBT people has very special significance. Three major Supreme Court cases were decided on this day in history. It marked three years since Obergefell v. Hodges, the 2015 ruling, which ushered in the freedom to marry for same-sex couples nationwide, five years since U.S. v. Windsor, the 2013 ruling, which struck down the Federal Defense of Marriage Act and helped pave the way for marriage equality nationwide, and it was 15 years since Lawrence v. Texas, the 2003 ruling that struck down Texas sodomy law as an unconstitutional deprivation of liberty. Kennedy authored all three of these decisions. It is not an understatement to say that his LGBT rights legacy may be doomed now and that he is to blame. Art, let's cut to the chase. You know, for me personally, this 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 entire term has been really challenging, I think, for a lot of people, um, for LGBT rights advocates, for any progressive constitutionalists. Um, But certainly, June 27th was the single worst day I've had since November 8th, 2016. How bad, before we start talking about the term broadly, how bad was this news of the Kennedy retirement? 
Well, it was uh, pretty devastating. <laughs> I think most many people I know said they spent that afternoon when they heard about it in mourning. Uh, and the odd thing is that Kennedy was a very conservative justice on the Supreme Court. Uh, if you look at his overall record, I've seen uh, quite a few statistical analyses have been trotted out over the past few days. And especially in his last term on the court, uh, he never voted in a five to four case with the four Democratic appointees during this last term. Uh, and the one case on LGBT issues where he wrote the opinion, we lost, although how badly we lost is a matter of debate. We, uh, we made the point in our last podcast that uh, actually, I, I guess it was two podcasts ago now, yeah. since we held the, uh, the June podcast to do that. But uh, at any rate, uh, you know, we, we lost the skirmish, but we may have won the war temporarily. Uh-huh. Uh, and the reason I say that is because the issue of wedding vendors and same-sex marriages is not going away. It's coming back to the court, and it's coming back to the court after a new Trump appointee is seated. That's true. All right, so, um, you know, let's go ahead and dig right into Kennedy's uh, retirement announcement and what this portends. I'd like you to start perhaps by talking about what Kennedy really meant um, to to the court and its LGBT um, jurisprudence? Well, I think I think the point to make about Kennedy is he was that rare example of a conservative judge, a very conservative judge on most significant issues that the court votes on, who nonetheless seemed to have empathy for gay people, seemed to understand that, that gay people lived under extraordinary... Uh, social and legal constraints in this country. At the time he took office on the court in uh, the late 1980s, we had sodomy laws in most of the states still. We uh, had just suffered this terrible defeat in Bowers versus Hardwick, where the Supreme Court had described our claim to a protection under the due process clause as at best facetious. Uh, we had no protection against discrimination on the national level, which we still don't have. Although, uh, you know, we, we, we had a campaign in progress, which now may be cut short of trying to get courts to interpret the existing sex discrimination laws to ban sexual orientation discrimination. We'll see what happens with those. Uh, but, you know, we were, we were facing a pretty grim situation. Uh, we had made progress in some states. We had anti-discrimination laws in some states. We uh, had sodomy law repeals or reforms in some states. But in general, we had a very, very full agenda. And enacting that agenda would depend on changes in the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court that decided Bowers versus Hardwick obviously was opposed to LGBT rights. And, but it was a five to four decision. You know, one or two changes in the court could make a big difference. And it turned out that even though at the time he was nominated by President Reagan, he was third choice for that opening. Mm. Uh, the first choice was Robert Bork, a D.C. Circuit judge and former Yale law professor who was like about as anti-gay as he could come. He had written uh, uh, some cases on the D.C. Circuit that were very, very dismissive of the gay rights claims. So getting Bork would have been terrible. Uh, then the second up was Doug Ginsburg, who was another D.C. Circuit judge, and it turned out that he used to smoke pot at parties with Harvard law students when he was a professor there, and that came out during the confirmation hearings. Today, 
uh, that would cause many people to support him. <laughs> you know, hey, he's not a stiff, you know. But uh, back then it was the word of death. He had to withdraw his nomination. So third choice was Kennedy. So he was definitely a target to stop. But not with the fervor with which people were opposing Bork because Kennedy had a reputation of being someone who would listen to you and who would listen to arguments. And One he, that he's maintained. And he has maintained of, of civility, of attempting to understand the arguments that people were making, even if he disagrees with them, of writing opinions that were always phrased politely. Uh, but we had no idea. I mean, I've seen one headline, I think it was Gay City News, that said he was the surprise gift to the gay community hmm. because all of our organizations opposed his confirmation, but he went through because there was nothing as controversial as anything uh, having to do with Bork. Uh, so he, he came through, and he came through for us relatively quickly. Uh, and with the, the first uh, decision that he wrote on LGBT issues, the uh, Romer versus Evans case from 1996, uh, it really showed uh, a belief that LGBT people were entitled to equality under the law but phrased in a way that did not make clear at all how he was doing his constitutional analysis. And he, he sort of apologized for it in the opinion. He said, this, this constitutional amendment passed by Colorado voters is so broad and extreme that it defies traditional constitutional analysis. So you know what? I'm not going to do traditional constitutional analysis. I'm not going to tell you whether sexual orientation is a suspect classification. I'm not going to tell you whether I'm using heightened scrutiny. All right. Well, what about Lawrence? What I'm about just, Windsor? I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say, I'm going to say this is a facial violation of the Equal Protection Clause. Uh -huh. And I think uh, many people have traced that to a, a brief that was filed in the case by uh, Larry Tribe mm. uh, from Harvard Law School, who had argued Bowers versus Hardwick. Uh, and so Kennedy, for six members of the court, uh, Justice O'Connor voted with him. Justice O'Connor did a little bit of a flip on gay issues sometime in the late 80s. I like to attribute to that to her experience as a commencement speaker here at New York Law School, uh, when the- Did you get in her, her ear? No, the student speaker, the oh, yeah. student speaker at commencement that year was a gay guy who was dying from AIDS. And I literally mean dying from AIDS. He came from the hospital. He was brought in an ambulance to Lincoln Center. He used a walker to get across the stage and to make his speech. And Justice O'Connor was sitting right behind him. And I remember, because I saw photographs, I was oh sitting God. behind, of course, as a member of the faculty, so I didn't see her face, but I saw photographs. The look on her face as he was talking about his experience as a person with AIDS going to law school, working during the day, going in the evening, having AIDS, he said having his insurance canceled right before his first set of exams, his 1L year, by his insurance company because he'd exceeded the, the limit for AIDS-related. And... Uh, I mean, just the look on her face. And then shortly after that, uh, there was a cert petition uh, in a case challenging an insurance company's refusal to cover AIDS-related treatment, and the court denied cert, and she dissented from the denial okay. of cert. And I was thinking, you know, maybe that life experience had an impact on her. And then there were stories later on that surfaced that maybe she had a gay child or she had a friend who had a gay child, that maybe she had developed some empathy on the issue, which seems to be important. Uh, and Justice Kennedy, uh, there were also reports that uh, one of his mentors at uh, McGeorge Law School in Sacramento, where he was a member of the faculty, 
uh, was a gay man and that he and his family had socialized with that man and his partner and everything, that Justice Kennedy was comfortable with gay people. There were also signs that didn't really get picked up at the time, but he had written an opinion for the Ninth Circuit in a challenge to the military uh, band uh, in which he said, well, based on the precedents we have now, we can't really rule for the plaintiff here. But, you know, there are some serious questions to be confronted here about whether in the non-military civilian context, whether sodomy laws are constitutional. So he was already showing an openness to this issue. So in Romer, he ruled for us. And uh, Justice Scalia was absolutely outraged. He wrote this dissent saying, this is totally inconsistent with Bowers versus Hardwick. Uh, And, uh, you know, uh, the next thing you know, they'll be challenging sodomy laws. Well, we were challenging sodomy laws. So in in reaction to Romer, the LGBT legal community, which had been staying away from the federal courts and sodomy challenges after Bowers, they, they started pursuing a state court strategy. And we actually won a few in state Supreme Courts. They decided it was time, in light of Romer, to find uh, a place where you could really challenge the sodomy law affirmatively. And so when the facts, you know, the incident arose that led to Lawrence versus Texas, mm-hmm. Lambda Legal jumped in on it, which, yeah. and Lambda had been avoiding uh, federal courts. Uh, they, they, it still went through state court, but then, of course, the decision was, do you apply for a cert petition? And in light of Romer, they said, yes, you apply for a cert petition when the Texas Court of Appeals turned us down. Uh, and uh, in Lawrence versus Texas, it again was a six to three decision, but Justice O'Connor's concurring opinion was very separate. It was on equal protection grounds. Mm-hmm. And for Justice Kennedy, it was a liberty case, even though the Texas sodomy law only applied to homosexuals. In fact, it was called the homosexual conduct law. Uh, and uh, Justice Kennedy saw this as an instance of liberty, which was, this was one of his big things, the guarantee that nobody should be deprived of liberty without due process of law and its substantive component, meaning that you have to have a good reason, have a good policy justification for depriving somebody of liberty. And he saw uh, this case as presenting a prime example of that. What he didn't say And Justice Scalia was quick to point this out in his dissent. He said, well, thank God the court didn't say that homosexual sodomy is a fundamental right. He didn't use that kind of language, fundamental right, Mm -hmm. or suspect classification of things like that. When he was writing his gay rights decisions, it was very idiosyncratic. It was very sort of high-flown rhetorical language, Mm -hmm. language of empathy. He says, uh, you know, that, uh, and, and he said this in, in Obergefell, you know, his, his parting shot was, you're telling gay people they have to live all alone, they, you know, in isolation, they can't have uh, formed the same kind of families that everyone else can form. Uh, so in Lawrence, we didn't get a clear signal to the lower courts that private adult consensual sexual activity as a whole is protected under the Due Process Clause. What we got was a narrow ruling, at least as as many subsequent courts, but not all, have construed it, that same-sex couples may not be, uh, may not have their private adult consensual sex lives penalized. (laughs) Very narrow. Mm -hmm. And so it's, subsequent cases, some of them have treated it very narrowly. For example, we had uh, cases pending in Florida challenging the ban on gay people adopting children. And some attempt was made to try to raise an argument based on Lawrence and Romer, 
that this should be a heightened scrutiny case. And the Eleventh Circuit says, absolutely not. The court never mentioned heightened scrutiny. Those are rational basis cases, et cetera, et cetera. So we didn't get much. But what we did get was that sodomy laws now could not be enforced against private, adult, consensual gay sex, which was a big deal because even though only a small number of states by 2003 still had such penalties on the book, uh, and even in states where they were on the books, they weren't really enforced very much, they were a basis of justifying discrimination against gay people, treating gay people as presumptive criminals. So that stigma of criminality was lifted. And, and it's hard to make an affirmative case for adoption or any of the other as issues. As long as you have that. As long yeah. as you have the Supreme Court standing behind Bowers and endorsing that right. our lives can be criminalized. And, and one thing that Kennedy did do was he did say not only that Bowers was overruled, but that it was wrong when it was decided. Mm-hmm. A real jab at the court of 1986. It was wrong when it was decided, and that provided the basis in many states, although it's a continuing battle, uh, to try to get convictions reversed retroactively, to try to relieve people of being required to register as sex offenders. Uh, and then, of course, there are the, uh, the series of marriage cases, which are like Kennedy's crowning triumph when it comes to LGBT rights. First, it was the Windsor case. Uh, where he ruled, uh, he ruled, he wrote on behalf of a bare majority of the court, five to four, mm-hmm. that the Defensive Marriage Act's provision uh, that the federal government may not recognize for any purpose same-sex marriages, even though they were lawfully contracted in, in the particular states or even overseas and recognized in the states. Uh, ironically, the, uh, the case, the Windsor case, was not based on a marriage that took place in the United States uh, because uh, Edie Windsor and Thea Spire went up to Canada. It wasn't legal yet in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they married up in Canada. And uh, by then, the appellate divisions, if not yet the Court of Appeals in New York, were starting to recognize out-of-state same-sex marriages. Uh, so uh, that case went up, and it was treated as both a due process and an equal protection case because Kennedy preferred due process to equal protection. And uh, he said that the failure of the federal government to recognize these marriages violated the liberty under the protected under the Fifth Amendment. It's the Fifth Amendment because it's a federal statute. Uh, and also, he makes an equal protection argument, but he doesn't hold that marriage is a fundamental right, in his opinion, or that same-sex couples have the same fundamental right to marry as different-sex couples if you said that marriage was a fundamental right. Uh, He didn't say that this was a heightened scrutiny case. He decided, basically, that nothing that was stated in justification for the Defense of Marriage Act could carry the day because he looked at the legislative history and he said, look at all these anti-gay statements. Look at the name of the statute itself, Defense of Marriage Act. I mean, this is an animus case. And he also treated uh, Lawrence and Romer as animus cases, basically. He says, you know, uh, these statutes are passed because people hate gay people, although he didn't come out and say it in so many words, but that was the import of his opinions. And that's not a legitimate basis for legislating. Uh, And, of course, Justice Scalia, in his dissent, was totally outraged. Uh, He says he he takes a whole section, several paragraphs of Kennedy's opinion, And he reproduces them in his opinion with interpolations and crossings out. He says all the courts have to do now is to take this and they can strike down state bans on same-sex marriage, which Kennedy disavows doing in this opinion. He says, don't you 
listen to that, just like he said in Lawrence. Don't you listen to that? Because in Lawrence, his descent said... The parade of horribles. Yeah, uh, and, and the interesting thing is that in the Windsor case itself, uh, as it came up to the Second Circuit, uh, the Second Circuit affirmed the district court, but not on the grounds of the district court. The district court had said there's no rational basis. The Second Circuit said, no, this is a heightened scrutiny case. They said sexual orientation is a, sus- a quasi-suspect classification. It should be treated like sex. Very similar. Uh, and so the case that went up to the Supreme Court in Windsor, we had a court of appeals ruling for heightened scrutiny, mm-hmm. and Kennedy could have just endorsed that. And interestingly, the judge who wrote it was a Republican appointee. Yeah. So it's, uh, I think you know, the argument for heightened scrutiny on sexual orientation is so easy to make based on the criteria that the court has used in other cases involving other types of discrimination, uh, that why Kennedy wouldn't have taken that step and used that vocabulary that was familiar to the lower courts is a puzzle. Uh, but, you know, in, in Windsor, he decided that the uh, Defense of Marriage Act, you know, you look at its history, it was, it was passed in reaction to the Hawaii marriage case that was pending at the time. It was evident. And, Ultimately became a Lambda case. Originally it was uh, brought by a local ACLU attorney, but not with the national organization backing him uh, because people thought at the time that bringing same-sex marriage litigation in state courts was a mistake, uh, that it would backfire. Uh, Same thing with Windsor, to yeah. be honest. And, mean, and actually, the it was a mistake in Hawaii in the sense that even though uh, our side won a wonderful trial victory, that's the people why. overruled it with a constitutional right. amendment. That's so. why we got all those mini-domas right. and the right. federal doma. It, right. There was this whole wave of anti-gay marriage legislation across yeah. the country in reaction to that. Uh, but, you know, as the case came up, uh, there were it would, it would have been easy, really, for Kennedy to treat it as heightened scrutiny. I don't think he would have had any trouble getting the four Democratic appointees who made up his majority to sign on to that. Uh, but he wasn't ready to take that step for some reason. Uh, so then we have this two-year interregnum. Between, now you get between, to go into the two years. Between Windsor and Obergefell. What and an it was, exciting time it was so and, and right out of the box, I mean, in July, the opinion comes out June 26th. In July, we have a federal judge in Cincinnati who is faced with a same-sex couple uh, who flew to Maryland to get married because it was available in Maryland because one of them was dying of ALS. And... They flew back, and they wanted a declaration that uh, the surviving partner is going to be listed as a spouse on the death certificate. Imagine suing about the contents of your death certificate while you're still alive. But that was the case. And we got a preliminary injunction from a judge just weeks after Windsor Mm -hmm. saying that they're going to have to list the surviving spouse because he believed that under the Constitution they had to recognize that marriage. And ultimately, that judge issued a ruling on the merits before the end of the year in favor of the plaintiffs. Uh, and that was just the first. By, by the end of calendar uh, 2013, we already had a marriage equality ruling in Utah, of all places. And then all right, keep going. The Tenth Circuit. Can we just keep talking about this two-year oh, stretch? This was, it's like every month in Law Notes, I had another victory to report. And And first at the district courts, then at the Court of Appeals, and they looked at Kennedy's decision, yeah. and they looked at Scalia's dissent. And they said, Scalia tells us, <laughs> 
that the Windsor case says we've got to rule in favor of the plaintiffs in these marriage cases. Now, maybe Kennedy's decision isn't totally clear, but Scalia's dissent certainly is clear <laughs> that this is what's required. And I remember one judge even wrote, uh, we're not sure how this case would be decided, but we can see how the wind is blowing. You know, we can read the tea leaves uh, because, you know, Kennedy's opinions aren't totally clear doctrinally, but we can say, you see the way the court is going. And if it violates the due process clause for the federal government to refuse to recognize same-sex marriages, then it probably violates the due process clause of the 14th Amendment for states to refuse to do so. It's just a logical jump. Mm -hmm. And by the time the uh, court's term opened in October of 2014, there were cert petitions from several circuits in which the circuit courts had ruled in favor of marriage equality. And everyone was wondering which of them is going to be granted, who's going to get to go up, because all the states had cert petitions. And the court denied everyone. It was amazing. And it was sort of, it was forecast by a comment that Justice Ginsburg made shortly before the beginning of the court's term. She said, well, I don't see why anyone sees a reason to have to review this issue. Mm. I mean, all the courts, she said, let's see what the Sixth Circuit does, because the Sixth Circuit was about to hear arguments. Uh, And then the Sixth Circuit was the first circuit to say no. Uh, And uh, in a... I would say a politely worded decision by Judge Sutton, who was a very conservative uh, judge on the Sixth Circuit, but it was it was polite, but it said, look, this, uh, we can't do this for you. This is something you have to achieve legislatively. I'm so done with polite. We've had this yeah. whole conversation right. about civility while you slam the door in the face of right. LGBT people and say, go rely on the but, ballot but, box. But he, is, he as much as said is, look, we can understand why same-sex couples want to marry, and we can understand the arguments they're making, but, you know, we just think it's not the role for the court to do it. As soon as that opinion came out, there were cert petitions filed from the plaintiffs in all of the states within the Sixth Circuit, and uh, the Supreme Court promptly granted cert, because as Justice Ginsburg said, we grant cert when there's a need to grant cert, and there was a need to grant cert. They had to take up the issue. Uh, some, some people have been hoping that we would just win it in every circuit and never have to go to the Supreme Court. Uh, but ultimately, we go to the Supreme Court, we get a 5-4 to four decision, Kennedy writing, of course, and... It's clear that Kennedy wanted to write these cases and that he could assign it to himself because he was the senior judge in the majority. So he got to assign it to himself. And uh, he assigned it to himself, and he wrote a uh, decision that's full of wonderful rhetoric. And it's been reported that in many same-sex weddings, they take passages from Justice Kennedy's opinion because it's so poetic and inspiring, the language he uses. But this was under due process. And then he says, and it also violates the Equal Protection Clause, and we're all waiting for the other shoe to drop, you know, reading this opinion. Now he's going to say that sexual orientation is a suspect classification, so excluding gay people, you know, involves uh, a suspect classification, compelling state interest test, narrow tailoring, et cetera, et cetera. But no, he says, and because this is discrimination with respect to the fundamental right to marry, we have you know, heightened scrutiny and the whole thing. In other words, he decided it's a fundamental rights equal protection case, not a suspect class equal protection case. <laughs> right. So we didn't get our suspect class out of it, or even our quasi suspect right. class. But we cited it for both equal protection yes. and, claims and, and for due process, due process claims. claims. And, and it's certainly possible to argue that the Supreme Court has not shut the door to suspect classification in any case. And that is one of the things that is so much at risk here with an appointment to replace Kennedy. Uh, 
But uh, importantly, there was another decision a year later. Uh, we had this dispute in Arkansas about whether uh, lesbian co-parents should be on the birth certificates when uh, they're, in this case, spouse, not, not just partner, spouse has a child during the marriage through donor insemination. And Arkansas was saying, yeah, but the, the co-parent is not related to the child by blood, so they don't automatically go on the birth certificate. They have to adopt you know, and go through this whole procedure, and there's money, and there's a home study, and all the kind of stuff. It's not just going to be automatic at the hospital. You fill out the form, and you send it in, and you get the birth certificate back. Uh, so that one went up uh, after the Arkansas Supreme Court ruled against this. And uh, after Judge Justice Gorsuch was seated. After Gorsuch was seated on the court, and uh, we got a per curiam opinion, not attributed to anybody, uh, but with Gorsuch dissenting on behalf of himself, Alito, and Thomas, not on behalf of Roberts. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that Roberts was in the majority. It's just that he didn't sign the dissent and he didn't publicly signify his disagreement with the per curiam. So supposedly the per curiam talks for him because it's talking for the court. Uh, and the opinion sort of sounds like it was drafted in uh, Kennedy's chambers, but uh, it basically just says, look, the Arkansas Supreme Court says Obergefell didn't decide this. You know what? Obergefell decided this. And they quoted a little from Obergefell where they even mentioned birth certificates. Mm-hmm. I mean, how can they yeah. say that it wasn't decided when, uh, in his majority opinion, uh, where Kennedy lists the various reasons why marriage is important? He says, look at all these things like birth certificates, death certificates, etc. So it was clear that birth certificates were involved. And uh, one of the recurring points in Kennedy's opinions has been a concern for the children of same-sex couples. He mentioned it in Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Uh, he mentioned it in uh, in Windsor and Obergefell, and also here. You know that uh, that the children of same-sex married couples now are entitled to have the same relationship with their parents legally recognized as the children of different-sex married couples. Yeah. And so this, uh, the Pavan versus Smith per curiam from 2017, also June 26, 2017. Uh, which Kennedy was part of the majority on that, uh, insisted that these marriages are the same as all other marriages. And so what's at risk now is that Kennedy not having made these firm doctrinal statements that might be so helpful in later cases, uh, lower courts are still a bit you know, up in the air about what these things mean for other kinds of controversies. In fact, we still have the Texas Supreme Court weeks after Pavan v. Smith, insisting that Obergefell doesn't settle the question whether same-sex spouses of municipal employees in Houston should have the same access to benefits that different sex spouses do. Uh, they refused to put a stop to that litigation, right? which was brought by uh, some local Republican activists in Houston who were unhappy that the mayor had extended the, the right to benefits. Uh, so that case is still going on. And uh, as I said, these wedding vendor cases are going to come back to the court, and these wedding vendor cases might provide a vehicle for the court to start chipping away at Obergefell by recognizing religious exemptions. I mean, you're making one point about Kennedy's jurisprudence not perhaps being clear enough, right, Right. to secure protections for LGBT people and his legacy. But at the same time, what we are also seeing from the conservative appointed judges, justices who serve now, is a, a willingness to throw really old precedent out the door, regardless of um, you know how sound it might be. 
But the point is that this is a court that is willing to overturn precedents, even precedents of longstanding that had solid support. Now, you know, people can come back at us and say, well, weren't we glad that the Supreme Court was willing to overrule Bowers versus Hardwick and Lawrence? Well, Bowers versus Hardwick was a five to four decision. It had two very strong dissenting opinions, uh, Blackman and Stevens, both Republican appointees who wrote strong dissenting opinions. And in fact, in Lawrence, it's Stevens' dissenting opinion that is cited and quoted from at length by uh, Justice Kennedy. Not Blackman, Stevens, yeah. uh, which is sort of interesting because Stevens uh, took a very broad due process approach to Bowers versus Hardwick, whereas uh, Blackman's dissent was all about equal protection. Yeah. yeah. But in fairness, Obergefell is 5-4 as well, and if you want to talk about a vigorous dissent, you've got right. Chief Justice Roberts looking the LGBT friends of mine who were there that day sitting in the audience in the eye and telling them, the con- you can celebrate, but the Constitution had nothing to do with your victory yeah. today. Um, and you want to talk about a powerful dissent. Right. There, and, there. and so people are sort of holding out hopes that just as, as Roberts sort of saved Obamacare, although by quasi-gutting it at the same time, but he, he sort of saved the essence of Obamacare, uh, that perhaps uh, he would see uh, the importance of having the court not viewed as a totally political body and uh, and so uh, would not join in an opinion that would overrule Obergefell, mm-hmm. but would most likely join in opinions that would chip away at it. Yeah. And, and we know that Justice Gorsuch is a very, very strong advocate of religious freedom, as was Justice Kennedy. Uh, and, and I think one of the reasons we got the sort of weird decision we got in Masterpiece Cake Shop was because Kennedy couldn't bring himself to rule against the Baker on the merits. Because but, but of the first, his, first, his first Amendment. First Amendment, free, free expression. So can you talk about Boy Scouts of America versus... Yeah, boy, this, is, this is odd because Kennedy didn't write in this case. It was an opinion okay. by Rehnquist. Uh, and uh, in that case, that was an expressive association case. The court treated it as very similar to the Hurley case, which was the Boston St. Patrick's Day Parade case. They, they said that the, the Boy Scouts is a nonprofit values organization. It's an expressive association. It teaches certain moral lessons to the boys who participate in everything, and you can't force on them someone who, by his sort of very openness and existence as an openly gay man, stands for contrary to the propositions they want to propagate, the lessons they want to teach. You can't force it on them. And I could see why, why uh, Kennedy might have been won over by that. Uh, but at the same time, that case was a clash between the state public accommodations law that banned sexual orientation discrimination in Massachusetts and also a city ordinance in Boston and the uh, claim in the Boston St. Patrick's Day Parade case of uh, the, uh, the people who organized the parade. They said, we have a right to control the message in our parade and the city shouldn't be able to force on us a group that's going to broadcast not even a message we necessarily disagree with, but a message we don't want to be part of our parade. It's our parade. And the unanimous court agreed. Souter wrote the opinion for the court. Uh, all the liberals signed on. Uh, Souter's opinion was notable at the time as the first Supreme Court opinion that agreed to use our vocabulary in discussing gay people. 
referring to gay, gays, and lesbians as opposed to referring to homosexuals. I mean, Souter's opinion was a very empathetic opinion. It was sort of like saying, of course the state has a right to ban sexual orientation, et cetera, et cetera. But he said, this is an expressive association. This isn't a commercial activity, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And, and you know, you could, you could sort of line up Boy Scouts with that in a similar way, that the Boy Scouts, although they do have a lot of commercial activity, they are in essence a not-for-profit organization you know the issue is now we but are was, seeing a but now a seeing. supreme court that is weaponized that is willing to go along with ADF and others who are right. using the first, first amendment, amendment right to just strike down precedent chip away right. at LG, gay rights right. victory and, and this is where you know if kennedy had remained on the court we might have lost him in future cases, but he is very strong for the First Amendment, whether you're talking about free exercise, whether you're talking about freedom of expression, whether you're talking about expressive association for political purposes. He was very strong on that. Remember, we, we lost him in the, uh, in the fair case, the uh, case about the Solomon Amendment, mm-hmm. uh, which was a provision of the Defense Appropriations Bill that said that schools that, that bar military recruiters can't get federal money. Uh, and this was challenged by a coalition of law schools and students uh, who said it violated the First Amendment rights uh, to oppose the military's ban on gay people serving. And the, the court struck us down. The court disagreed with us. And uh, Kennedy, I think that was a Roberts decision, but Kennedy voted with the majority there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he voted on our side in the Christian Legal Society case, uh, which was a challenge to uh, one of the law schools in the University of California system which refused to recognize the Christian Legal Society uh, as a, a, a recognized student organization because they discriminated against gay people. I mean, gay Christians wanted to belong. They said, well, then you have to disavow your homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, the, uh, the court, in a decision by Justice Ginsburg, uh, came up with this theory that if, if the school's rule is that you have to open membership to everybody, regardless of race or sex or national origin or sexual orientation, etc., that's constitutional. And even though it might be seen as some, of a, some bit of a burden on the Christian legal society, they were still allowed to function at the school. They just didn't have official recognition and state money and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Kennedy wrote a concurring opinion, which was sort of agonizing a little bit about the free exercise issues here, but ultimately coming down on the side of the school and their ability to enforce their non-discrimination policy. So... You know, it's you can't predict with 100% accuracy how Kennedy would vote in these upcoming clashes that we see uh, in these future, the wedding vendor cases, and I'm sure there'll be other kinds of cases that'll emerge uh, where there are people who uh, don't want to deal with gay people, whether it's in employment situations, uh, whether it's in uh, facilities of some sort, whether it's housing. We have housing discrimination cases that might get up to the court uh, there is a very live question whether the housing, uh, Fair Housing Act on the federal level, which bans sex discrimination, covers sexual orientation and gender identity. We started to win a few of those cases. Where that will go when it gets to the court, uh, one of the biggest issues is this project that's been going on around the country to get the federal courts to interpret Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, which covers employment discrimination, to cover sexual orientation. And in parallel, the litigation about bathroom access in the schools for transgender students under Title IX, 
of the sex discrimination provision. We've had some real successes. We've had important decisions in the courts of appeals. Mm -hmm. Uh, But so far, the Supreme Court has not addressed that question. And there are two cert petitions pending on the Title VII question. There is going to be a cert petition pending on the Title IX question out of the, uh, well, maybe on the Title IX question. I'm sure ADF wants to bring it up. Uh, on the gender identity question under Title VII uh, from a Sixth Circuit case involving a funeral director. Uh, that's probably going to be knocking on the Supreme Court's door. Uh, and, you know, with Kennedy on the court, we had a feeling that we had a shot. There was a possibility. Uh, assuming that Trump appoints and is able to get confirmed somebody... Off who, his list. Somebody off his list. Because <laughs> his current list, we're not going to win with any of these people on his current Therefore list. Therefore, such clones. Well, that, that may go too far. Some of them are Alito clones. <laughs> and then maybe some... <laughs> I'll, I'll go with you there. And then maybe some Thomas clones there, too. Yeah. There aren't going to be any Roberts clones because, as you know, Trump has declared Roberts a total disaster for upholding Obamacare. And I think, you know, you were talking about, and in a moving way, about people empathizing with friends or people or mentors, Justice Kennedy, um, Justice uh, O'Connor, because of people that they knew who were gay. Um, And we saw when Gorsuch was nominated, the New York Times article and various people that go, look, he's got gay friends. This is going to be fine. Don't look at his jurisprudence. It's about who he knows. And we're going to see the same kind of thing go on again. Um, and well, just to remind folks to be extremely skeptical that just right. because someone has gay friends doesn't mean that they think that the Constitution protects them. Right. And, and in fact, that Roberts has a gay niece and provided special tickets for her to come to the oral argument in Windsor and Obergefell, but that didn't affect his vote, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and, and then, of course, we've got, uh, what is it, Newt Gingrich's lesbian sister who doesn't seem to affect his positions on gay issues at all but that's that's off off uh, our supreme court radar yeah i don't think gingrich is on the short list thank god all right so i think we've covered this issue <laughs> pretty i it was it, i could sit and talk about kennedy's legacy and uh and uh, you know particularly the good times that we experienced in that flurry. You know, I started working at Lambda Legal in 2012, um, and to just kind of watch everything from Windsor being decided to the flurry of litigation post-Windsor to Obergefell was such a, a, a wonderful time to be doing civil rights work and um, to watch the types of judges that Obama was nominating to the lower federal courts that were diverse. We had our first lesbian Latina lower court judge, our first um, Asian American lesbian judge. Um, We had a lot of really important firsts, and now... um, Well, Trump has appointed a lesbian. This is reported in in our current issue. Uh, Mary Rowland has been appointed to the federal district court in Chicago. Uh, who is not only a lesbian but active with the Chicago Lesbian Gay Bar Association, and well known and respected in the community, not a right winger, as far as we know. So, you know, a few will creep through. Thanks for listening. 
This and future podcasts can be found at iTunes or at legal.podbean.com. Follow Legal on Twitter at LGBTBarNY or like us on Facebook. Follow me at E.D. Lesh. Follow Art at ASLeonard1. Be sure to subscribe to our SCOTUS Justice Rapid Response team. We need you. This is an all-hands-on-deck moment. You have to join us in standing up for our constitutional values. We need a pro-equality justice on the Supreme Court. Join us by clicking on the link that's provided in the landing page on this podcast. We will be back next week to talk about Trump's selection to replace Justice Kennedy 